Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Falta, and welcome back to the Talking Blarney podcast, where we wade through the Blarney to tell you all about the real Ireland. My name is Stuart McNamara, and I'm here with my wonderfully bookish co-host, Rob Cross. Hello, everyone. It's good to be back. Yeah, it's another wonderful day in Ireland. We actually had a bit of sun for a change, even though it's midwinter. Uh, yeah, I, had, I brought the dog for a lovely walk, Stu, around uh, where I live, up the Red Path, which uh, Stu, Stu knows where it is. Oh, yes, of course. Lovely little riverside walk we have around where I live. And uh, yeah, very nice. Plenty, plenty of people out, socially distant, walking many dogs as well. It was a, a lovely day to do it. A bit of a poor showing from the uh, Irish rugby team, though. I'm sure at some point we'll do a full episode on Irish rugby as a whole. Yeah, we, we, we lost to England, which is even more disappointing considering it's the uh, particular anniversary today, Stu, isn't it? Yes, which we'll uh, jump right into now, I suppose. So today for Uniquely Irish, we're going to be talking about uh, a quite grim story, which is uh, Bloody Sunday, which it is the uh, 100th anniversary of. Spe- specifically Bloody Sunday 1920, as I alluded to, I think, in our Michael Collins episode. There's been more than yeah, one Yeah, I think Bloody they show Sunday. it in... It's, uh, yeah. Oh no, they do show it in Michael Collins. I think I think I I did just to say like we have touched on this before when we did our Michael Collins review, and I specifically said that this scene was completely inaccurate the way it was portrayed in the film. Um, but I suppose now we we might talk a little bit more about what actually happened and why it's such an important event in our, our history. Yeah, of course. So I suppose it really uh, started off that morning with uh, Michael Collins and the IRA planning on doing a couple of assassinations on some of the the Cairo gang well specifically it was this is the part in the film that isn't a million miles off it's uh, his Mike Collins and the squad or the, the the 12 apostles um yes you know it is kind of secret secret police I mean really this is the part of our Michael Collins um, in, uh, review if you want to get a, a lot more context on this I suppose but this is specifically we're just going to kind of do the day I think here but they were you know doing counterintelligence the Cairo gang or um a bunch of British um, operatives that were sent over to assist the the Royal Irish Constabulary and the Dublin Metropolitan Police in, in capturing and taking down um, a lot of the the IRA, uh, IRB, and you know Michael Collins' spy network. So, getting getting them taken out of the picture really would have made a massive impact on British intelligence and would have been a massive victory for um, the Irish. Yeah, I mean, like. It- in fairness, it was a big thing to do it, obviously. Uh, I believe they chose uh, the 21st of November itself because it was a very busy day in Dublin because of the uh, the GAA match. So it would, be, it would have been easier for the, the 12 Apostles to, to slip away in the crowds. Absolutely. And it's um, this is like in multiple locations over Dublin, as is portrayed in the film, um, like from hotels, like the, where they were staying in to even just, I think one chap was coming out of Masters walking down the street and they they got them. They got the 12 members of the Cairo gang. I think one regular soldier did, did die as well. 
And um, it was a very successful operation uh, from that regard, a massive blow to British intelligence in this country. Um, The best men they they could send, you know, who had this experience from uh, in London dealing with intelligence uh, from World War One even and just completely wiped out. Yeah, it was all down to the the man on the inside, wasn't it, in uh, Dublin Castle who got the names and locations of that's right. The, 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 uh, the Cairo Dublin. gang, the one or two men, like we said, it uh, wasn't all necessarily Ned Broy. But uh, for for further details on that, do listen to our other podcast. Hint, hint. <laughs> Get the listenership up. Yeah. So the. Uh, the assassinations anyway were quite successful, but the uh, the British decided that they needed to retaliate in some way. And now from from what I've read, the plan was that they, they expected to hit back and catch some IRA personnel leaving Crow Park because obviously it was a large stadium, a lot of people in there. And so they were going to search and see anyone, you're trying to catch anyone who might have had any anything that, gave them away as IRA members or weapons or something like that. Yeah, it, well, it, it, it's worth, worth the saying as well, too. Like, I do live in Drumcondry in Dublin, which is uh, around the area of Croke Park, and I do have a keen interest in history, as Stu knows, and I have a, a good knowledge of sort of bits and bobs around it. Uh, Drumcondry is slightly outside Dublin city centre. It's, it's definitely still part of Dublin. It, it's suburban now, very much so. It was kind of... At the time, it would have been a little bit outside Dublin City, certainly still part of it, but it was kind of almost um, um, almost like its own kind of little town, if, if you will, that was slightly outside of uh, Dublin. So it wasn't as built up in places, certainly. And it was a very bustling hive of IRA activity at the time. There were plenty of IRA safe houses out there, including several on, on the road where I live, potentially my own house as well. I, I'm currently looking into that, which is a bit cool. I might just... Uh, you know, uh, knock knocking the wall, and a bunch of guns might fall out some days too. <laughs> Lucky you. Who knows? So, it, 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 in in a sense, that um, the British going out there to Croke Park, it did make sense from their perspective because they knew well. There's a load of guys out here that are, um, you know, involved in this activity against us. And I mean, even even a little, a slight little tidbit. I know there's one of the bridges just before Croke Park is actually the first place that uh, the the Thompson submachine and the Tommy gun or your Chicago typewriter, whatever you want to call it, was actually used in action. So um, was was right there. Yeah. They smuggled in a bunch of them. So very very much um, uh, <laughs> very very uh, bandit laden area of Dublin City as far as they were concerned. Oh, definitely. So there were about 5,000 people uh, in Croke Park for the match. I think it was uh, it was a Tipperary against Dublin. It was in, in the, the GAA. Specifically Gaelic football, of course. Yes. And uh, so they were inside. I think the match was about 30 minutes late, starting at a quarter past three. Yeah. And- but unknown to them, there were uh, three armoured cars, 12 trucks of black and tans and six trucks of auxiliaries headed to Croke Park to meet them. Uh, it's worth saying as well. See, this was a charity football uh, football match that was going on. It was actually for republic. It was a kind of Republican prisoners fund that they were raising money for. So you know the I I, I oh I, yeah I see that there yeah the, the dependents that's kind of right. It was a little bit of um the people who like who would who would been killed by the British um like looking after their their wives and, and yeah and like kids. The, the family yeah. members who would who had lost Republicans but some of the funding would have gone to buy you know weapons and smuggle them into the country and potentially help with you know like devil air still over in america at the time i believe you know gabe asking people to donate money so definitely like it wasn't just going to the dependents but certainly a lot of it was so 
it was definitely so it was yes. certainly fundraising for something the British would not have approved of. I suppose as we as we'd said before, the black and tans wore kind of irregular um police officers. They weren't technically British army troops, but most of them had served in World War One. A lot of them were um former prisoners and criminals and the auxiliaries though were former officers so they were really a lot more ruthless and did a lot more of the more malicious and horrific atrocities that happened during our war of independence so definitely scumbags (laughs) if you don't mind me saying Stu. oh yes uh, very much so. So uh, I think I'll put some air quotes around this, but their their alleged atten- intentions uh, were to announce by megaphone that all males leaving the grounds uh, would be searched and that anyone leaving by other means would be shot. But uh, for some reason, uh, as it's it's stated, uh, shots were fired by police as soon as they reached the, the southwest gate uh, of Crow Park at about 25 past three. Um, exactly. I don't know if you have any other uh, contradicting information to that now, Rob. Not, 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 not that I'm aware of, Stu. That's the, the, what the main reports all said. Um, you know, <laughs> I, 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 I don't have a pro-black and tans view of this. You'd be shocked to hear. Um, perhaps if there's any, if any uh, British people would like to write into us and present an alternative uh, view of what happened, uh, please do. I'd be very happy to ridicule it and um, debunk it uh, live on air. Yeah, so then as we know, uh, when one bullet shot more come soon after, and so it, uh, the, the firing started from the, the amassed troops. And obviously this causes um, be a, pa- a widespread panic in the ground. Oh, panic, stampede, uh, people were fleeing. Uh, I know that uh, some of the, the players had actually some IRA training, and so they knew to drop to the floor. Yeah when uh, the bullets started flying. That's exactly it, Stu. But I mean, it's you, you got to just imagine the poor people inside there. You're, you know, it's, a, it's a packed capacity crowd, I suppose. Not Now, Gorting Crow Park wasn't as big as it is today. Uh, it didn't have like 92,000 people there, but certainly a, a, a decent crowd. Yeah, still 5,000 people. Yep, which is quite good a, at the time. A stampede is, is a lot. Yeah. So, you know, the British have blocked off the roads kind of going out of it they've they're up on top of the the walls around croke park they're preventing people from being able to leave any other means so they're basically saying that what what the report said that they the ric and the british people there was that they were saying um they want to search all males coming out as Stu said but you had to go out like one of the main gates so they can check you and if you left by any other means like if you hop the wall because you're they were firing at certain IRA sentries, so they claimed they'd shoot you. So they started firing into the crowd then. Now, as we said in previously, what's portrayed in the Michael Collins film where like there's armored cars come in and start machine gunning people, bursting into the middle of the pitch, that didn't happen. It, it, that, that did. Yeah, there were more roadblocks outside. Yeah, they, they were present certainly, but they, they didn't like burst into the middle of the field and start blindly firing into the crowd. That didn't happen. There was blind firing into the crowd, but certainly it, it, it would, from what we can kind of see, it was mostly kind of rifle fire from over the the wall and also into the crowd that was leaving there. So, I'm, you know, that was an inaccurate portrayal of what happened. I, I'm certainly willing to say that, but the British did fire into the crowd. Yeah, uh, so I, can, I think everything kind of settled down fairly quickly uh, and they 
ended up searching everyone. I think they only found one uh, revolver was the only weapon. I believe and, so. And uh, they searched the grounds for other stuff, but they couldn't find anything. So clearly it was uh, a bust in terms of what their quote-unquote intention had been going there. They found no IRA members at the very least. But I think the, the, the big thing about it is that it really, it was one of the defining moments that cemented the uh, the hatred for the crown in the Irish people and drove more to uh, the IRA and to the, the fight for freedom. Absolutely. I mean, Stu, because like 14 innocent people died in this. They were not members of the IRA as far as the world. Remember that, that's irrelevant. They were all unarmed. Uh, Michael Hogan, one of the football players, was killed. The Hogan stand in Croke Park is named after him. Uh, there were two people, two boys, Stu, uh, 10 and 11 years oh, old. Oh, yeah, I, I will actually, uh, just before we finish up, I, I would like to just read out the names and ages of the the people, but I I suppose before you do, I think this was um this was a massacre um of unarmed oh, yeah. civilians. This was a war crime in my view. They the British, of course, were smart enough to say, well, of course, these weren't our soldiers over there; these were special constables. So, of course, that's not what happened. But you know, if, if this happened, kind of thing happened today, and, and unfortunately, in some parts of the world, things like this do still happen. It would be considered a war crime, and it's um, you know, you you can kind of um talk about how things like I say like give out about Irish people being over there and about terrorism all the many conversations we've had in this podcast talking about the IRA at various different stages now we, we do condemn violence and we're not condoning their actions at, at present or even at some points during the troubles but you know you can certainly understand the resentment and um, at times anger in this country against specifically English people. I know I've been using the term British, but I I would primarily say it's against the English. Um, And this is, kind of, I think, one of the main examples of, you know, people had nothing to do with uh, anything horrible that happened the rest of that day were just watching a match, enjoying themselves. And then 14 of them didn't come back, some of which were children, some of which were trying to, to play a game of football that they enjoyed. And you know that that's just what it is so this was a hundred years ago things have moved on thankfully we we do have peace on our island now which is a a great thing to have and we can only hope it stays that way um yeah but i think even the queen came to croke park she did as an act of reconciliation yeah and i i think the the when she did come to croke park there was a lot of things questioning that but when she was in Dublin Castle and she stood up to give her speech and turned to our president at the time, Mary McAleese, and said, uh, uh, president and friends in, in Irish. That was a very, I think, important moment there as well. Um, but I think a story I've, I have briefly told as well, Stu, is I was there in Croke Park when our other, our foot soccer and rugby stadium, which was Lansdowne Road, currently the Aviva Stadium, Still on Lansdowne Road, it hasn't moved, it's been done up, um, was being refurbished and the GA had allowed matches to be held in Croke Park, you know, soccer matches and rugby matches. And I was there when Ireland played England in the Six Nations in rugby there. And there was a lot of controversy about it because, you know, they were going to play God Save the Queen in Croke Park. It was very contentious. There were protests outside and everything. And I'll tell you, Stu, um, the crowd was very respectful for when that was played. We there was no no real jeering that I heard, and it was applauded at the end. And we definitely sung around the vein much harder than than we ever have before. I can tell you that. <laughs> and as we have to, and we won that match, and it was a great match. And I mean, it's it was a certain level of intensity that maybe if we if Ireland had today playing England, uh, we we would have won. <laughs> <laughs> Don't remind me, Rob. 
but um, certainly, 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 certainly things have changed since then. But uh, that, you know, it's important that you don't forget the past. And particularly for some English people, maybe that that are listening. I don't want to, I'm not attacking you, I'm part English myself. I do have lots of family over there. But, you know, if you forget the past, you will be doomed to yeah. repeat it. Um, so like I said, we're not attacking people individually, but it's, you know, we have a complicated it's, it's history. the actions of the government and, at the time. Absolutely. Yeah. I, 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 I would blame David Lloyd George, Winston Churchill, um, General McCready as well. He was, he was the head of the British forces over here. And like, I can't quite recall who the Lord Lieutenant was, uh, Fitzalan, I believe. Um, you know, I, I, I blame them. I don't. And, and of course, the individual British people who committed some of these massacres, certainly. But I, I'm not blaming the, 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 you know, the, the British Bobby who might have just come back from France after World War One. I. I don't believe they were part of this, but, you know, so. That's that's it. Um, I think if you want to proceed. Yeah, so now I'll uh, now I'll read out the, the names of the people who lost their lives on Bloody Sunday for us. So we have Jane Boyle, 26, from Dublin. James Burke, 44, from Dublin. Daniel Carroll, 31, from Tipperary. Michael Feary, 40, from Dublin. Michael Hogan, 24, from Tipperary. Tom Hogan, 19, from Limerick. James Matthews, 38, from Dublin. Patrick O'Dowd, 57, from Dublin. Jerome O'Leary, 10, from Dublin. William Robinson, 11, from Dublin. Tom Ryan, 27, Wexford. John William Scott, 14, Dublin. James Tehan, 26 Tipperary and Joe Trainer 21 from Dublin. It's a yeah, God rest them all. It's a sad thing to think about it. I know it's a hundred years ago, but reading out those names 10 year old and 11 year old, 14, it, it's difficult. And I mean, it's it's um, as much as it is in the past, and we have moved on, as I said earlier, that we the, the scars of some of this are still there, and their people's grandchildren are still alive from um. Uh, who who were there that day? Uh, some some of which now are actually in government at the moment. So it's it's uh, hasn't hasn't gone from their minds completely. So we'll 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 try and move on from uh, to something hopefully a little bit more updates yeah. to. Although certainly de- certainly dealing with Irish writers, um, you know they're 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 certainly not all happy people either, and certainly not writing. Well, look, I mean the we'll try and start off. The trouble is thing. that you write what you know, and uh, Irish history has been fraught with uh, tragedy and sadness. Uh, which, I mean, yep. in one respect, you have to think has in in a roundabout way enhanced our writing because having that depth of knowledge and the the kind of national feeling of it really does seep into their work in a in a way that makes the the art more real and really well respected at the very least. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's we have a, a very proud history in this country still of writing and everything from poetry to, to songs um, and you know, books and even like films and things now as, as as we will be getting into. So, and a lot of that's informed by our history about, you know, struggling for, for freedom and then finally getting that freedom and then becoming a, a Catholic theocracy for, for, for a while there. Well, yeah, I mean like back, back a thousand or 2000 years ago, it would have been an oral history. Like yeah. we would have been storytellers to, that's how we recorded events, really, rather than having it written down. 
Exactly. And it, it's that oral tradition that really spurned into us, starting off with like writing poetry and doing epics about like, you know, our Oshin and uh, Tyr Nanog and Queen Maeve and the Cattle de Cooley and all that, and how that all turns into our uh, tradition of poetry and, and telling stories and uh, really gets us a different way of coming at things that some other poets and writers in, in the English speaking world really didn't ever kind of grasp. But uh, we'll. We'll we'll do kind of a few bits and bobs here now. Myself and Stu are, are going to kind of go into a selection of Irish writers and books. And I think I think the kind of idea, Stu, wasn't it, that you'd said was to kind of say recommend for all ages, maybe a few books or writers to look into for for Christmas? Yeah, like we'll start off with uh, like kids books and then we can advance on then maybe if we have any teen and then on to adult, male and female, just to kind of give an overview of the, the depth of Irish writers and uh, their work. We'll try and touch as many different areas as we can from kind of fiction, non-fiction, and even a bit of poetry and prose. But let's say like that these are our own views. Like we're going to, I'm, we're going to both going to be talking about books that we grew up reading uh, that were by Irish authors in the Irish contexts. And then people, you know, we, we writers, we admire. So if you feel we're leaving someone out, by all means, please let us know. Uh, these are only our own personal views. We will probably do something more in the future. Myself and Steve were talking specifically about Irish Irish poets and maybe a few specific things. So we will we might be glossing over a few of these things and doing it a little bit quickly. But we don't want this podcast to be like four hours long because <laughs> it very easily cut. Yeah, the thing is, uh, a lot of these writers have led prolific lives in their own right and could have an entire report podcast done on them. But uh, we don't have the time in this one. Yep. So this is just a quick overview of things. Christmas is coming up if you're looking to buy a book specifically by Irish people that might have uh, more uh, information on Ireland itself uh, these are the ones for you so I think the first one in terms of kids and uh, you probably have this one yourself as well Rob is of course Darren Shan absolutely a, a Limerick man by way of London Stu but he certainly still lives here as well so we'll we're, we're very happy to do that we before the the lockdown we'd I'd say on a, not an infrequent basis, we'd occasionally run into him in a particular drinking establishment in Limerick. Yes, very often. Very, very often. I, I mean, I think it's, um, I, I don't ever think I'd really ever had, had the experience too, of like having a, a pint with like one of my favorite childhood authors. Um, but it was it was a nice experience and he's a very nice fella. I'll, I'll give him that. I, I still have several of his author, autographed books around the room as well, which I dug out for today. So Yeah, so I mean, the, the obvious place to start with Darren Shan is he's kind of a children's horror uh, writer. Uh, nothing expressly scary, but uh, would be the saga oh, no. of Darren Shan is his, his most well-known work. Yeah, now, look, we, we, we might do the film The Vampire's Assistant at some point in the future, but look, that is not a representative film of how good the book series is. No, definitely not. Let's let, we'll, we'll we'll broach that for now. But I, I absolutely adored that uh, book series. It's it's twelve books in total. Um, it, it's it's divided into four trilogies actually, in kind of a sense. Like every three books is um kind of its own self-contained story arc, and then there's like wider arcs as well. Um, the first three are are very very good. I uh, would highly highly recommend. Um. The first book, like The Vampire's Assistant, is um really 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 dragged you into the world. I got completely hooked on that when I was probably about maybe eight or nine, I think. I'm I'm not too sure, but certainly around that age. And you know, it was just a case of getting them in the library or buying them if possible and getting the rest of them when they, they all came out. But it was uh you know, read them constantly, 
really, really loved it. You really identify with the characters as well. You know, so it's written in the first person narrative where you're Darren Shan in the books doing whatever. In, in, in most in most circumstances, there are scenes that from outside of his perspective as well. So it it's very easy to get into. And, you know, like you said, I wouldn't particularly say these were scary. Um in in a broad sense yeah but it's in that like they're about vampires and other kind of horror creatures if you will it does get a little more sci-fi i i I guess in the the final trilogy i I won't make any spoilers but it certainly gets a bit more um um out there but not 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 in a bad sense um i i do remember that i got the 11th and 12th book for christmas i think probably about 2004 i think i think that's when whatever the series finished i think was around then and i knew i kind of knew i was getting them and i was like really excited because i was like oh i'm gonna finish it and it was the very first time someone spoiled something for me uh someone in oh. someone in class um uh, in my primary school so i said oh i i think my, i've asked for the two last Darren Chan books as like I'm looking forward to reading so I just finished the 12th one is and she said can you believe that at the end this happens and I was like what <laughs> and she is and it was just like you know oh god but thank I, I did read the two books I think in you know Christmas morning in the space of about two hours I mean that that's a that's another thing about the books is that they're they're not huge they're, but they're not huge like they like they're manageable for a young reader to get through on their own they're not written in a very complicated manner i mean you obviously will learn new terms and terminology for the the vampire world it's set in in places but there's nothing like mad there there's no like really long words or complicated prescriptions or anything like that so it's it's certainly very approachable for a child uh, to read or, or be read to he's been he's been writing quite consistently uh, since his first book, which uh, was uh, Cirque de Freak, I believe, uh, all the way through, he did The Demonata and then yeah. Zombie. And actually this year, he, he released three books digitally in April. So clearly during the uh, pandemic. Yeah, he's uh, doing So that. Like, he, he's very consistent and he's still going with them. He's, he's kind of... Um, and, uh, he's an excellent read. I've also read The Demonata as well, Stu. I think I read all of them. Um it's a little bit more mature in places, is what I'd say about the Debanatra series, but it's it's interesting as well, actually. There's there's multiple characters in it and the books seem some of the books seem unconnected to the others, but they do all they do all kind of go together. All right, Rob. I, I know you could talk about Darren Chan all oh, day, I but yeah, uh, we should probably move on to a couple more books. So I'll just give another one uh that I don't think you have heard of. Yep. Uh it's a another children's writer named Michael Scott. Not to be confused with The Office's Michael Scott. He's uh, an Irish uh, writer of science fiction, fantasy and horror, but he also does a lot of uh, folklore stuff as well. So when he comes to writing uh, kids uh, fiction, he tends to to splice in a lot of beautiful uh, odes to Irish mythology and folklore in there as well. Uh, I got to know him because I was buying the last Aragon book and and his his, uh, major uh, young adult book, the uh the the alchemist once again not to be confused the other the alchemist uh was given to me free with it and so i just kind of once i'd finished i picked that up and started reading it away it's the alchemist the secrets of the immortal nicholas flamel Ooh. and uh they're wonderful books i think there's six in total uh each one getting progressively larger uh and it's just the story of these two kids and they go on this this 
very magical adventure where over the course they become more uh they they learn magic and they can see people's auras and like the 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 interweaving of different parts of irish mythology that i had known from a child came in but he he's done many books uh, beyond that on different uh different topics different bits of irish folklore uh, and I think it's just a, they're wonderful books to read. Yeah, I can't say I'm familiar with that, Stu. I think you've definitely mentioned it to me before, but um, I, I might have a look at that myself. You never know. Yeah, I think I should have them there somewhere if you want to alone once we can see each other again in person. Uh, whenever whenever that is, hopefully soon. We should be coming out of lockdown in about, well, we'll know next week. We'll know, but the next podcast we're recording, we'll know if we're coming out of lockdown or not. <laughs> No, <laughs> fingers crossed on that. Yeah. So another one I'll just briefly mention, Stu, and this is um, this is a very specific Irish book because we we actually read this in school, and um, I suppose I'm just going to briefly say like we we'd always kind of have um, a book we'd read sort of every couple of months in primary school. Like you know, you'd you'd read it out loud in class, and maybe actually like read a chapter yourself at home, like write what happened in the chapter and like you do kind of report on it at the end or whatever. And it would come up in like in your English examinations. Uh, Oh, excuse me. But uh, one of them that we did was by a fellow called Dan Conroy, who Irish people will recognize the name uh, as um, he did. He does drawings, basically. He was on one of our The Den, which is one of our children's TV shows. And he would kind of just go on it regularly and kind of do drawings of various characters and things like that and he'd go around to schools quite regularly when when i was in primary school and he'd he'd like he'd turn up and he'd show you how to do drawings and he'd give you drawings he was very very popular for that but he also written a children's book called the vampire saint mitchens uh might give you a bit of context that for some reason i really liked these these vampire books when i was younger um there, there might be a few clues there too <laughs> But I, I really enjoyed this book and it really stands out to me in particular because it's about a vampire basically going on the on the loose in Dublin. As St. Mitchens is a very old church in Dublin. It's got um, a few mummified heads of crusaders in it. It's rumored to be haunted and everything else. So it's a good setting. And it, it's, it's kind of, um, if you will, broadly a modern retelling of Dracula a little bit. But it's um, you know written very approachably for kids. It's a little bit more scary in parts than uh, Darren Chan might be, but um, if if you kind of want something else of a similar vein that might you might not have heard of, would recommend. Yeah, I mean, like, look, the the more interest we can get into that kind of stuff, especially set in Ireland as well, which is it is almost as rare in its own right. I mean, a lot of Irish writers do tend to write their stories outside of Ireland for one reason or another. Obviously, uh, it makes the audience a bit broader, but there's not much you can do about that. Yeah, there it is. It, it, it's just very nice to have something that you can kind of relate to more if it's about like kids or teenagers or whatever, like in Ireland, that you can kind of be like, oh, yeah, that's that's kind of good. I, I, I get that now. Yeah. Uh, the next one, that's another quite well-known Irish author who had... A big budget movie that flopped harder than anyone was expecting uh, is Owen Colfer. I had a feeling it who, of course, up. wrote who, of course, wrote the Artemis Fowl series of books. Uh, what is it? A, a super intelligent uh, criminal child in this uh, very folkloristic setting where there's fairies and trolls and goblins and dwarves and what have you. Uh, I don't think I really read them myself. Maybe I. I read the first one I as a did. child. I, I didn't read them as much. I've never reread them now, but I did. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I did read them. I think we did one of them in school. I don't, or maybe it was like an extract from it or something. But I read, I think it was the first three books I read, maybe four. I don't really know, but... There were some people in my class at the time who were like really, really into it because like it it was kind of popular and I kind of didn't really get into it when it was big. It was, I think it was about the time the third book was coming out that everyone was like really excited for it. And I was like, all right, I'll go and I'll read the first two. And I, I did really enjoy it. It's, um, I didn't relate to it as much, I suppose, because I'm like, oh, I'm not a millionaire's master criminal kind of person but it was entertaining anyway and i, I did enjoy it and well uh just to to show how well regarded he is as an author he actually if anyone uh enjoys the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy he was brought on to write and another thing i think it was the the sixth book in uh in the hitchhiker's guide series after uh douglas adams passed away so you can so it's it's a very big thing for an author to be be chosen for such a thing so uh, clearly he has the chops to do some great work yeah Stu, it was actually just popped into my head there there's another own call for book called the wish list uh, it's a standalone book that he did now that i remember reading when i think in school but not not too sure but i really did enjoy it and it's basically about slightly grim topic of uh, like a teen, two teenagers die trying to break into some fella's house and um the main character meg i think is her name in order to like get into heaven and see see her mother again because you know she's like an orphan um she has to like be kind of a guardian angel for like the the guy that they were tormenting and he has like a wish list of things he wants to do and she has to do it in a certain deadline in order to get into heaven and then the the other fella who died with her he's like with the devil and trying to stop her and it, it just kind of popped into my head there because i remember there's a bit in it where one of his wishes is he wants to play hurling in croke park it's like she she can't be seen by other people so she like helps him sneak into croke park and he can you know, knock knock the slitter over the the goalpost. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you have any more kids' books, or shall we move on to? Um, like maybe kind of young adult sort of stuff. Yeah, go it, ahead. Um, but yeah, so I, I suppose in a, a, a broad sense, um, two older ones I'd like to bring up that you you probably heard of, but I I mention it because I enjoyed reading both of them. Um, in in particular, one of them is my favorite novel of all time, which surprises people. But considering I've just talked about vampires, um, being two of my favorite childhood things growing up, I think this would be of no shock. But uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula is, is one of my favorite novels of all time, possibly my favorite. I have a, a beautiful edition that was given to me a few years ago, um, with a bunch of his short stories in it too. Uh, Bram Stoker was Irish. Anyone who goes to Trinity will remind you of that and talk about the Bram Stoker, the Bram Stoker building and all that. 
but it's a fantastic book. Something not not a fan of everyone, but it is it is kind of good. Um, I kind of put it more of a young adult one myself. I think I I read it when I was about ten for the first time and have reread it many times since then. But um, I'd maybe kind of say. 12 kind of 13 would probably be about the right age for doing it but use use your own judgment i mean there's nothing too bad in it, it is a little bit harder to read i suppose just because it uses more archaic kind of form of language but it's set in like the, the kind of 1800s so it's um makes kind of more sense but um no, i w- would recommend anyway and of course uh, mary shelley's frankenstein as well mary shelley is a um irish was an irish uh, writer i'm pretty pretty sure she's dead <laughs> I don't know, Rob. She might have been uh, reanimated. Well, there's only one way to find out. Uh, I will say, like Mary Shelley, some we might just do an episode on in the future. It's fascinating. Um, if I'll give a shout out briefly to another podcast. Uh, You're dead to me by the BBC did an episode on her. Uh, she had a fascinating, fascinating life. Was a very early um, advocate for, I suppose, feminism in Ireland and like giving women the vote and being, you know, her, her own person, not beholden to her husband. So by all means, look into her life. But you know, we we all know about Frankenstein. We were all very familiar with the whole archetypal image of Frankenstein's monster and re- read the book. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I, I've actually read both of them as well. And the, the trouble with them is that we they, they become cultural icons. So you hear about them all the time. I mean, you've you probably know more about Dracula and Frankenstein before you actually even touch a book just through uh, various culture cartoons movies and movies well. and whatever. It just kind of comes up as as you live uh but they are both wonderful books uh as rob says a little tricky to read obviously dracula it's kind of told in a more diary style which yeah some people mention that yeah. a bit more <laughs> it's it, it's not something that a lot of people could might be used to especially younger readers but i think it's laid out quite well in that sense I think as as we will discuss in a, in a later bit here, I'm actually quite a fan of that whole style of telling stories through letters and diary entries and things. I I like that as a narrative choice, but we'll we'll we'll, we'll get we'll we'll a uh, little, little little spoiler for later on. <laughs> Stu knows Stu, Stu knows what it is. He knows it's one of my favorite authors. I'll be talking about in a minute. But uh, those 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 two did come to mind. Um, I suppose as well, Stu. If um, I was kind of trying to think about maybe Irish writers that kind of sum up a particular time frame in Ireland and I think for maybe the late 80s early 90s I'd have to say Roddy Doyle yeah yeah I was going to bring him up more for the the adult stuff but I I, I would kind of put him more along the young adult kind of stuff I think if you see like you know the films like the commitments the van um yeah there's a couple of his books that have been turned into movies that will definitely be watching to review at some point in the future the films to a certain extent have almost become more iconic than the books and i suppose in in a sense that some of the changes that were made in the films did did work in better in some cases but definitely read them um i'll also give a shout out to paddy clark ha 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 which was one of his other books that i remember reading in school about uh, kind of dubbing school boys and things like that really really good book based on his experiences as a teacher um if you want to kind of get a snapshot of a particular time in Ireland and kind of what Irish schools were like at a particular time, uh, that's a fantastic choice there. Would highly recommend it as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've seen some of the the movies that have come out from his books and they're wonderful. I unfortunately haven't read any myself yet. I say yes specifically uh, because hopefully I will at some point, but uh, just uh, there, he does some great stuff in all mediums. I know he does some novels for children as well uh, that I'm reading here. 
Yeah, there's um, sorry, I was, I was trying to think of the name thing there. It's it's originally the Barry Town tri- tri- uh, trilogy, which is with the the Rabbit family, is the the commitments, the snapper, and the van. It was changed slightly in the films because there were rights issues around the first one and it, it does change around a bit so it's a little bit more consistent in the the books as it is with the films the commitments is very well known and then the van and the snapper are the two sequels to it which are there are some differences in the films just because of rights issues if if you do realize there's some differences it's just because of that all right uh the next author that uh rob won't be surprised at me mentioning uh more for kind of say late teens into the 20s for people who like a bit more uh surreal surrealism i should say in in your books would be blind by boat club someone who most people would probably know from his podcast and maybe from his music career he's he's limerick man like ourselves and uh his his books uh are wonderful they're as i said they're surreal uh he kind of he draws on a lot of irishness in them without being like overly yeah, they're they're quite good. I, I've um, I, my brother has his second collection of short stories. I actually haven't gotten around to reading it. Um, I, I will at some point. Um, but I, I really enjoyed some of his first collection of short stories. You know, I I I would say like I I I think they're a little bit hit and miss in places, and you really have to be into kind of more surrealist kind of a slant. Like it does kind of you do have like a lot of 180 degree turns in it uh things really change but i think there, there's no harm in some of them i, I really enjoyed one there's, there's one in particular about amy de Valera and michael collins oh yes <laughs> i won't i won't I, I won't i won't say any more Stu. but all i'll say is i almost stopped reading it and then well, I said, eh, okay, I'll keep doing. And then once the the twist happened, in a, in a sense, um, I absolutely loved it because it was just such a clever way of doing that. Because, yeah, I once wanted just read. If you want to read one of his short stories in particular, do read that one. That the name does escape me at the moment, I'm afraid, but um, it's in his first collection of works. You'll you'll know the one I mean when you start reading it. All I'll say is you have to get through the first part for it to get really good. Um, that's, that's it. Yeah, I mean, the, the beauty of uh, his writing is that while some might find it odd that he has a wonderful way of imbuing kind of the Irish mindset into a lot of his characters and a, yeah. a bit of Irish history as well, where obviously it takes a different direction to the actual history. You can still get... Uh, a bit of an understanding for the underlying history in what he's talking about. Absolutely, um, you can. And I, I'm not as big a fan of his podcast as Stu is. Don't mean that in a disparaging way. Just kind of find it a bit hard to get into. You know, he always says, "Oh, no, if this you're trying to start off, don't listen to this one." And then it's you keep having to go back. But um, yeah, I, I like his writing. I, I think it's fine. It, it mightn't be the most approachable for everyone in in, in a sense. So. If you go into it with a bit of an open mind and stick through some of the stories, um, it can be quite satisfying. Definitely. Uh, what's your next one then, Rob? Uh, well, Stu, I, I was going to kind of move into more um, more kind of other Irish writers, I suppose, maybe kind of getting into the more adult stuff in a sense. So I don't know if you have any other kind of young adult or kind of teenage stuff. No, I have nothing left kind of for the young yeah. adult. Right, well, I'd like to talk about one of my favourite Irish writers, John B. Keane, who you you, you may have heard about. Um, I I think I was thinking about kind of what are some works that sum up Ireland um, that if you like, see, like if if 
our listeners were saying like rob what would how would you describe like ireland in like three pieces of work like three books or three plays something like that i think the first one that would have to come to mind is the field um which is i think one of the the best pieces of irish literature ever written it's is a play but it kind of is in a more book form as well there is obviously the film with richard harris and sean bean in it we we will be doing it at some point i i can almost guarantee that i think um but it's it's one of my favorite um irish things ever written i think it's uh, fantastic it sums up the attitudes of small town ireland uh, rural ireland in the that we, we've seen in a bunch of films we've done everything from like the quiet man to even chasing leprechauns a lot of those archetypes come from this and it's just fantastically written the characters are believable i love it i've seen it performed several times everyone takes their own little slant on the characters you know they the, the names of the characters have become synonymous in irish life just for people acting a certain way like you know everyone knows like you know the the bull mccabe and tig and the bird o'donnell the, the yank that comes over here in in the film he's, he's english in this in the the original play um just so iconic and it, it's just i really can't do it justice in what i'm going to say but you know by putting out there watch the film certainly but reading the the play is and even seeing a production of the play if you can when i know now isn't the best time to be exactly seeing plays because of you know the with <laughs> the way the way the world is so but by far i would highly highly recommend um going out of your way to get your hands on on this but one of my favorite things he's ever written is is his uh, letters collection which is an interesting narrative choice I, I kind of alluded to a little bit earlier but telling a story entirely through exchange of letters the most famous one is came out in 75 it was uh, letters of a successful matchmaker which is about a tricky dicky, as he's known in it. And he's uh, a matchmaker, as, as of the type you would see around Liston Varnas do. I'm sure that's something we'll have to cover in Unique Irish oh, yes. uh, someday. But the, the, the idea is basically you, you can't find a, a wife or a husband. You, you go to him and he'll, he'll sort, sort you out, really. Because you know, it's a good Catholic rural Ireland still. There's no, there's no going out, like, uh, out, out to dance or something looking for a, a wife like that. That wouldn't be allowed at all now. And the the various um, crazy things that happen, but it, it also was adapted for uh, plays as well. It's fantastic. I love him. Stu is sick of me telling him how much I'm a fan of John <laughs> B. Keane over the years. Um, it is. Just, I just think like he's someone that can write Ireland uh, just better than anyone else. And yes, he was a raging alcoholic, but that you know that's that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. He's he was fond of a few drinks. Oh yes. So my next one. It's a bit of an odd one, but uh, when I was working in a bookshop for some time, uh, it was always a quite popular book. I never really read any of them myself. It's the Ross O'Carroll Kelly books, which are uh, satirical yeah. uh, stories. <laughs> Ross O'Carroll Kelly is actually the pseudonym for the, the actual writer, Paul Howard. But there's a good 18 or 20 books in the series so far. There's almost been one a year yeah. since he started. I, I will say that I've never actually read these I remember reading one of the very first ones. I, I can't remember what the name of it was, but I didn't like it. My father used to love them, but these were hugely popular in, I think, the early 2000s in this country. Like when we were having the Celtic Tiger boom, because it was taking the piss out of people from like Dublin for the, the the fancy part of South Dublin. And it was like the 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 absolute rage at the time. Everyone was talking about them. I can remember it. <laughs> Yeah, so they're incredibly popular books, really satirical, obviously, a lot of uh, very Irish things in there. 
for people to 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 read about yeah it was um i think it kind of popularized the whole thing of like a dort speak i think i've mentioned it in one of our other episodes oh yes the whole like people from like d4 have kind of have a particular way of speaking and it's sort of they're kind of written still isn't it that it's kind of phonetic speaking so like it, it it it's the words are written in a way that you would pronounce them as someone from that part of dublin would say them it's like instead of a dart it's dort it's yeah it's like using the the accent is in the 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 words yeah it's like a dort speak is a dart speak because they're on the the, the dart yeah. line down there and i'm you know I like you know you guys like g-o-y-s i suppose um not to consult any of our jewish listeners i'm sure but <laughs> Have a happy Han- have a happy Hanukkah. <laughs> I believe I believe Hanukkah is actually quite soon, but that's I I I, I digress. <laughs> yeah, I think it happens sometime uh, close to Christmas. Um, yeah, I think I think about then. Anyway, <laughs> anyway uh, do you have a, another one to go? Yeah, well, I I was kind of thinking, Stu. Um, as you know, I I am a fan of um poetry and things like that, so I I was. We we might kind of do Irish poets specifically more in their own thing in a separate episode, but I think the the big one I think if you ask me would the first that come to mind would probably be uh, W. B. Yeats, William Butler Yeats. Um, we all kind of learned about him in school, you know. You, we we know all the famous poems and all there, and a wild swans are cool. Um, you know, an Irish airman foresees his death, which is one of my favorite poems. Uh, just fantastic, fantastic work, and you know, there there's a lot you can find out about him and if you want to kind of get a particular type of irish poetry great place to start but i'm going to recommend not specifically something he's written himself now i've been trying to get my hands on an original copy of this for quite a while and i have a guy in london who's keeping an eye out for me <laughs> but it's a it was the very first um collection of different Irish poets in the 1940s, I believe. And it was actually edited and selected by Yeats himself. Uh, This is towards the end of his life when he was actually a senator in Ireland. So if you can get your hands on a copy of it, it's the first edition edited by William Butler Yeats of um, uh, uh, Contemporary Irish Poets. Um, try and get your hands on that if you, if you want to get a good kind of selection of Irish poetry right after the kind of big revival that happened in the early 20th century. Um, so like you have like people like, you know, Singh, Yeats, um, I suppose there's in references to Joyce there, though he wasn't much of a poet. Um, just a fantastic selection there as well, you know, of... Um, I, I, I probably should have had the full list in front of me who's in there, but I think that's a fantastic example of Irish poetry if you can get your hands on it uh, specifically. But um, I think Yeats is very approachable. I think, you know, Stu, you obviously learned learned some of those poems in school as well, didn't you? Oh, we, we all do, do that, that in school, yes. So I, I think, in my mind, I think Yeats is probably the most well-known Irish poet, um, on, on, uh, maybe along with Seamus Heaney, I think. Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose like that. So I, I think that's probably the best way to go in that seeing what Yeats thought, who were the best poets at the time. Uh, one thing that I was slightly concerned about is, is that uh, we'd have a bit of a slant towards male authors. So I made sure to pick out a few that I know at the very least. Oh, don't. Oh, I did. I put a few female in here as well, just to be safe. Don't worry. But my, I do really enjoy Mary Shelley. I will say that she is probably one of my favorite Of course, authors, just uh, I made sure to check with uh, my own mother to see some of the books that she loves. And there's one here that is 
close to my heart. I haven't uh, read any of her work myself, but uh, Roisin Meany is someone that I've definitely mentioned to Rob before uh, because she was actually my uh, junior infants teacher when I was five years old, which is uh, an odd thing to say that someone who's written many, many books since uh, was there when I started my schooling quite some time ago. Uh, she, I mean, how do you describe her work? It would be mostly romance and just kind of fiction stories uh, about women and their lives. I, I suppose there's... there's um... I, I, I don't want to lump all like the female kind of writers together, but um, I, I you kind of brought it up in that uh, writer that you know, and I, I mentioned two female Irish writers that I did know myself to varying degrees as well. I think one, one is Sally Rooney, who's a uh, people definitely might know her from uh, or or not, sorry, normal people. Um, which was massive on television there during lockdown. Um, I haven't watched it myself because it's not my cup of tea there, but um you know took over the world there as well made made um you know people wearing gas shorts uh, a fashion statement in america which is interesting um, <laughs> but she's also uh, sally's also written conversations with friends which is her debut novel and uh, normal people which are I, I i maybe kind of put it into young adult adults it's certainly dealing with kind of interpersonal relationship issues in kind of university and things like that um i did do debating in college so i did have met Sally once or twice very briefly but uh, uh, someone else as well who is also from Trinity he went to Trinity and did debating and someone I did know you know I've, I've actually debated against at, at, at various times is Anisha Dolan she just put out her first book Exciting Times recently um, I haven't read it but my girlfriend has um, and she said she did like it in parts um, wasn't a massive fan of it but she did thought it was an interesting idea about it's it's the way it uses language and things like that. But uh, any, anyone else there you have, Stu? Uh, another big one, which is a, a real household name in Ireland, would be Maeve Binchy. I have her down as well. Uh, this this would not be my type of reading at all, Stu, and I don't think it'd be yours either. <laughs> but look, it's it's someone's, and that's the, the, the big point. Yeah, I will say like, Maeve Binchy is kind of known for the kind of... Uh, I guess you could say broadly kind of romantic kind of novels, kind of love stories and things like that in a very broad sense. Yeah, I mean, like from from what I know that they can be uh, very humorous portrayals of, of small town life in Ireland, really. I would, like my, my grandmother and my mother would be a fan of Maeve Binch. It, uh, I, I think it would be kind of an appropriate thing for maybe, you know, a, a mother or grandparent um, for Christmas time. Yeah, I, I've never read any of these. I suppose like Tara Road and I think Circle of Friends are probably her two most best known works. So it's about like you know, women from like Ireland and America and they're both looking for an escape and, you know, coming back. And I, I believe there is actually a film adaption of Tara Road still at the back of my head that I think might have some dodgy accents in it. So we'll have to take a look at that oh. maybe in the future. Yeah, I'm seeing a couple there. Oh, there is. Oh, there is. I think very the, interesting. Andy McDowell. Ooh, Andy McDowell is in it. No, they must do. Maybe there's something yeah. to this now. Maybe I mean, she, there is she, something to this. She might be one of the most well-known Irish writers. I mean, just looking there, she's been on the New York Times bestseller list and actually in Oprah's book club, which is probably a, a bigger thing for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely, Stu. It is. Um, uh, I think unless you have any other kind of big ones you'd like to mention, I, I lost my shout out a few people specifically. If that's a writer, um, well. Another uh, very large women's writer I don't think we can we can pass up is Cecilia Hearn. Yeah. Obviously, um, it, it, we know the, the film adaption that we'll have to get to at some point in our illustrious 
podcasting career. P.S. I love you. Uh, but she's done many other another uh, romance writer. That'll be coming Valentine's Day. We've 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 decided. <laughs> yeah, one of those Valentine's Days years in the future. And also worth saying, her father was uh, Bertie Hearn, a former Taoiseach and Prime Minister here in Ireland. So you yeah, know. Uh, the last one that the last one that I would like to mention is uh, Eddie Lenehan. If people are looking for kind of a bit more about just solid folklore and uh, uh, Irish fairy stories he's actually uh, an irish shanachie obviously an irish storyteller he goes around and uh, meets a lot of uh, older irish people records their stories and he puts them down in these books uh stories of them meeting or stories of them or people that they've spoken to who have uh met the fairies or leprechauns or whatever what have you um and so he, he's very good he, he's as we irish would say a character uh, he actually has a podcast that I think he infrequently adds to maybe once a month with uh, stories and just listening to him go off and he goes on tangents about Ireland and he, he's he's lovely to listen to and uh, he looks a bit mad. He looks a bit like Alan Moore, Rob. <laughs> just that wild, bushy, uh, grey beard and hair. He, he's a madman. But he, he has some wonderful stories. Obviously, he's been all over the country speaking to everyone that he can find and Recording them especially is, is a wonderful thing just so that we have these these, these oral histories of the folklore of, of Ireland. Yes, it was just coming coming up there talking about Shanachies. I, I used to run a poetry night down here in Limerick for a, a little bit. And we had one person in particular, John Carew is his name. He's his, he writes his own poems as well, but he has a great commanding presence. And I think if you want to see the proper kind of Shanachie experience, if you can ever see him perform, uh, if you're down here, he, he does tours around Locker as well, out in County Limerick, by all means do. I, I don't think John will mind me giving him a little shout out <laughs> in, in this podcast. Certainly. <laughs> um, a few other people I might just give a shout out. These are kind of more lesser known um, contemporary Irish writers and stuff like that. Now, I say I know some of them personally. I've seen some of them perform in Limerick and Dublin, the, the two people I know up there and for my own performing as well. Wouldn't include myself anywhere near them. I've been published in one collection and that, that's it and i'm not particularly good but um i give a shout out to a few people in particular um i'll give one to uh, daniel wade who is a dublin-based um author poet many other things um he is done some fantastic stuff he, he had a lovely play that was on rte radio there a few uh, with back he has a, a collection of poetry that's coming out very shortly as writing lovely short stories and everything else um i just advise you to look up daniel wade on uh, facebook you know way too many things to list there but he's a very good guy as well a great storyteller as well he's done some fantastic stuff talking about his grandfather being a peacekeeper in, in the irish army back in the 60s to some of his own stories as well um fantastic writer def- definitely so, someone to watch who's going to be massive in a few years i guarantee it um i'll also give a shout out to uh casey shelley who is another um poet i've gotten to know very well in dublin um very very good uh writer really deals with what it's like to be kind of a woman in 21st century ireland which is something i can't write about myself Stu. um <laughs> like the experiences i have but she just put out her first collection of poetry very recently and you know, would highly recommend. She's very good at performing. Um, she also runs the um, poetry night out in Clondalkin in 
County Dublin. Little bit of a way out, but I, I, I will I will give them a shout out too. Also another person uh, that I got to know very well down here in Limerick who really gave me a lot of support as a writer when I was starting off. So I want to in particular give a, a very warm thank you and welcome to uh, is Christy O'Donnell, better known as Punchy. <laughs> of course um i'll give if you can get a copy of his collection building bridges slowly falling i think it is a fantastic example of you know what it's like to live in limerick dealing with that everything from back when he grew up uh, a little bit before me um a fair bit before me though he what might be saying but i don't know if there was anything he'd like to add of any new writers or anything he might have no i think i've uh, exhausted everything that i've researched for today anyway yeah so that's it um i i, I briefly say as well i did mention i am writing a book that might be a kid's book um i'll get around to finishing that at some point i i am currently optimize with working full-time and also doing college work so it's uh it's 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 not the easiest but i, I i'm sure if i if i do get it finished I, I might read a bit on this podcast at some point in the future maybe maybe it'll be famous someday but uh well that's it i, I suppose that's the, the the briefest kind of snapshot we can do in terms of um irish writers and things like that like i said it's a bit by no means a definitive this this is just kind of what we felt strongly about people we really admire and this could easily go on for like several hours if we just did everyone so we're, we're definitely going to do in the future something about some of these specific stories and specific authors and maybe one specifically about Irish poetry but I think we'll have to leave it here today because it would just keep going on and on oh definitely so next week anyway uh, I believe we're going to do another one of our special reports. Uh, so be excited and tune in for that. This was something that we were recommended right at the beginning of the podcast. It's just taken a while to kind of get around to, to some research and pulling yeah, it, various pieces of literature on it. It kind of went in with uh, quite well with an idea I've had as well. So it, we were kind of combining the two of them in a certain extent. But I, I think it'll be very interesting. Um, it's something I've wanted to talk about for a while in this podcast, specifically this overarching topic. So I think it, it, it's one of the things that when we set this podcast up, it was we need to talk about this at some point. Definitely. So uh, thank you very much for listening, guys. I hope um, you found today's episode informative and interesting. Um, if you have any questions you'd like to ask or any other recommendations you might want for any other fine virus writers or any other information, yeah, you can contact us. You can contact us, of course, at Twitter at BlarneyPod, and you can also email us at TalkingBlarneyPod at gmail.com. We do appreciate all feedback we get, um, as as you know from us reading out our reviews on this podcast before. We, we are very proud of them. So we do appreciate anything. And if you enjoy this, please tell a friend uh, that you've enjoyed this. And, you know, let us know if there's anything you'd like us to see us do. We have a an ever-increasing list of movies and dodgy Irish accents and various TV, various TV shows that we have to do. So there is plenty more. Uh, coming i think it's fair to say Stu, we're in no fear of running out of material oh yes and uh, i believe it's the 11th of uh december that we're getting wild mountain time so we'll be very excited to get to that as soon as we can get a copy or see it in the cinema maybe i don't know <laughs> well it, it really just depends we, we'll know by the time we're recording the next podcast next week we're going to know what the story with the lockdown in ireland is so We'll know next week what if we're going to be able to see that in the cinema or not. I guess so. I, I will. We'll we'll see. Yeah. All right. But thanks anyway for listening, guys. Uh, do let us know if there's anything else. Uh, it's goodbye for me. Sloan, and we'll see you next week. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.